0: To the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, I am joined by Calvin Robinson, a political commentator, advisor, educator, and columnist at The Telegraph, The Daily Mail, and more. In this podcast, Calvin and I will discuss the UK Race Report, uh, the Defund the BBC campaign, the media's treatment of Harry and Meghan, the political hypocrisy behind Prince Philip's death and the reaction to that Piers Morgan and his GMB exit what we can do to help ourselves deal with political burnout and much more as with all these political episodes of course we don't try to bring on those whose political views align exactly with ourselves as we believe that talking to guests that range across the entire political spectrum is an important part of what we are trying to achieve, and so please enjoy this conversation with Calvin Robinson. Okay, so my conversational partner today is Calvin Robinson, a political advisor, commentator, educator, and columnist. As with all the political episodes that we do, um, I say I don't try to invite on people that whose political beliefs align exactly like mine. I like to, you know, uh, traipse the spectrum from the left to the right. I believe that's a really important thing to do. Uh, Calvin, welcome to the Freedom Pack podcast, sir. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you. I wanted to start off by by setting the scene about yourself. When I was um when I was looking on the internet about yourself I found this uh way that you, you said you'd been described in the past as a a bounty or a coconut I wonder if you could explain that to myself and to our audience straight
1: in the deep end I love it <laughs> yeah. um I've been described as a house negro a bounty a coconut a race traitor a race collaborator um what else all, all these words essentially mean that my views do not align with the color of my skin, as if for some reason your views need to be determined by the amount of melanin in your skin. It's an absolutely ridiculous statement from the hard left, but it's one they keep perpetuating. Um, I don't subscribe to woke narratives. I don't believe that this country is, for example, systemically or institutionally racist. I don't think that white people are naturally oppressors. i don't think the black people are naturally victims and all of this is problematic for the new hard left um you know they, they claim they preach diversity inclusion tolerance and all of these things but the moment you have a diverse opinion uh you are not included and they're not tolerant of you
0: i think i, I was i was doing a bit of research on yourself and listening to you on other shows and there was a topic you touched on that you know it, it made me think about myself and the way that you know, I reacted when I, when I saw guys like yourself and it's it's this idea that when when we see somebody of a you know a minority who's who's on the right of the political spectrum it's almost um, shocking or, or it seems to come with a little bit of a taboo why do you think in the in the UK and I, I guess in the in the USA do you think that it is shocking for people to see you know someone of a minority on the right wing and 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 how do we? start to move away from that attitude
1: um i think it's because the hard left or the left in general tend to assume that if you're brown or if you're you know an ethnic minority that you're going to vote for them and no one should assume that they're going to get my vote they need to work for my vote uh, i don't believe in left-wing policies i believe in fiscal responsibility i believe in civil liberties and um, democracy the rule of law i believe in a, a lot of things that left would like but a lot of things that they wouldn't like I'm, I'm a right-wing thinker and that shouldn't be a problem in my opinion i my opinions and my views come from my experiences from my reading my education uh my childhood my parentage lots of you know different things as does everyone else it, what it doesn't do is it doesn't come from the color of my skin i wasn't born and then assigned a view uh based on how i looked and people shouldn't assume that i was um I I don't know what it is. So the right tend to see people as individuals and tend to see us and think, okay, well, what does that person... Think. And we, we do try and narrow it down. So, you know, where was that person born or what class are they from? Um, tends to shape a person's perspective on life. But on the left, it's very much a case of what are their immutable characteristics, which box do they fit in, and how can we control them based on that? And I'm not going to be controlled by the left or anyone uh based on my immutable characteristics, the, th- the things about myself that I can't change and the things about myself that I didn't choose. You know, I, I, I chose Many things that and I'm proud of those things. And I've worked hard for accomplishments and achievements that I'm proud of. The things I, I was born with, I'm not proud of, I'm not ashamed of them either, but they're just, you know, happenstance of, you know, accident of birth.
0: When I spoke to um, Dave Rubin on this show, um, he, and and this is a guy that was gone, has transitioned from the left to the right. He yeah. said that in, in, in his experience, when he was uh, on the left, he found that, you know, the, the opposing side, the, the people on the right were, were sort of willing to have sit down conversations and, and talk about their political differences. Mm. But he says now he's on the right, the opposing side being the left, he's, he finds it extremely hard to have to, for them to, to have sit down conversations with him and there's no room for discussion, there's no room for debate. It just seems that you're sort of, you know, you're, you're tarred with the same brushes as, as everyone. Is that something that you see when you look at the political spectrum?
1: Yeah, and it's very sad because, you know, on the right, we tend to see the left as wrong, but we're willing to engage with them because we have the assumption that actually maybe we are the ones that are wrong. We question ourselves. I don't think they do that very often. What I see from the left is that they assume that not, not that we're wrong, but that we are bad and or evil and that's troubling because they're assuming that they're right and they're not questioning their own beliefs or their own values or their own perspective and they, you know there's there are words for that kind of mentality uh, so they need to be careful um i, I think you know in this country in a, in a democracy like this we need both sides we need a strong opposition and a strong government we don't have that at the moment but we need people from the left and the right to share their their views and their perspectives and you you actually find is that most people want the same outcome they just have different ideas on how to get there we all want this to be a better country or a better world we just have different approaches on achieving that and we need to sit down together and engage with each other in order to get that done we have to take people along with us we can't drag them uh so that's why the the right are more successful at governing that's why you know we've had a conservative government uh, for many many years now um and why the labor party struggle to get into power because the left at the, at the moment seem to, like I say, think that the right is bad and that they are superior, and both morally and politically, and most ordinary people don't agree with that opinion.
0: Hmm. I think that all sort of political and, and social issues and, and arguments should, at its core, be about both sides trying to find out the truth, trying to find out what's true. But to me now, there almost seems to be this tribalism, this sort of us-versus-you mentality where we won't back down, you won't back down, and it's just a game of who wins. Do, 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 would you agree with that?
1: I love what you said
0: there, your opening
1: bit. It should be about what's true. Absolutely, 100%. So as a Christian, I believe in you know universal truths. There are objective truths that shape our reality, and we should always be chasing those truths. But what we have now is that, you know, the left think you can have your own truth. Everyone has their own personal truth, which used to be an opinion. But the moment you start calling it a truth, it has this element of fact about it. And that means that it can't be questioned. When someone states their own truth and you have the audacity to question their truth, you are essentially breaking down their, you know, what they consider to be a fact. And that's problematic because you can't have an open debate in that environment. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about sitting down and engaging and having an open debate. And that is essentially what freedom of speech facilitates or should facilitate and that's why on the right we are defending free speech and championing it even at the moment whereas the left who should be also doing the same are not and they're trying to shut down opposing viewpoints uh deep platforming or no platforming people and, and getting rid of any anyone who's unsightly or anyone who says something that they don't agree with and that, that is you know totalitarianism fascism even a word that they tend to use a lot uh, incorrectly and unironically um so we need to kind of somehow bring the left back because they've got the overton window shifted so far to the left that the normal left now are quite extreme we need to bring them back to the center re-engage with them and show them the importance of the things that we believe in such as you know free speech open debate and universal truths
0: so diving back into to your story and, and making this personal to you i wonder growing up uh in, in in the uk did you personally experience any incidents of racism and, and if you did Do you feel that that affected you in your personal or professional development in any way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I grew up being one of very, very few, uh, I think, think minority people in the town that I lived in. Of course, I experienced racism quite severely at times. Um, It affected me on a personal level, absolutely. I I don't think it's ever affected me on a professional level. I think people that are racist tend to be ignorant people, tend to be people that um, haven't really achieve much success in their lives people that see the world in a very narrow perspective you know when we hear oh coming over here taking our jobs that kind of mentality you don't hear many very intelligent people saying that kind of thing mm-hmm. so people that are in positions to hire you and recruit you don't tend to have that mentality that backwards ignorant mentality so no i don't think it's ever affected me there have been you know situations where i've wanted something and i haven't achieved it or i haven't you know a position i haven't acquired or a job i haven't got or then that I, but i haven't assumed that it's based on my skin color and that's the difference that we have at the moment people have this perceived racism like i've experienced racism in my life where you know i know it's been racist people have called me a packy people have you know spat at me and called me a nigger um you know this is genuine racism undeniable but to and that's down to the intent they intended to be racist now we have a situation where in this country people perceive racism wherever they are wherever they see something that they don't like or they don't achieve something or they don't get the success that they want they put it down to racism and that is an issue because it dilutes the true meaning of the word when people are being discriminated against and genuinely prejudiced against because of the color of their skin that's racism but when you're not getting something that you want and you're just assuming that it's racism, that's ignorance on your part, because it might be anything. You know, we have a lot of Black Labour politicians that will say, oh, I got confused for a cleaner in the House of Commons. They must be racist. Actually, you could have been dressed quite scruffily. Your hair could have been a mess. Your makeup could have been all over the place. You might have had a... Um, you know a bad night or what there could be a whole host of reasons to assume it's racism is down to you not them Um, it might have been but it might not have been that's the point Uh, I I don't think we should make the assumption that everything and everyone is racist I think we should give people the benefit of the doubt and be charitable towards other people as we want them to be charitable towards us and that's essentially from you know that's Christianity right there
0: so if someone argued to you calvin you've just said that you know you experienced racism when you were growing up and it affected you personally um how can you deny that we that we live uh in a racist country what would you say to those people
1: i would say that's a backwards argument
0: uh people are racist individuals can be
1: racist towards other people people bully people for a whole host of reasons usually when you when you're bullying someone you look for the thing that differs you from them you know you look for the the thing that's you know we might call someone a name because they're ginger because they're shorts um anything and race is an easy one but it's ignorance but that doesn't mean this is this is a racist country. We have equality under the law in this country. We have equal opportunities. And I know people say we don't quite have equal opportunities. We are working towards meritocracy. There is no completely meritocratic society that doesn't exist. But we are trying our best to be that. And of course, people are discriminated against occasionally. But again, that doesn't make it systemically or institutionally racist as a country. And. Um, The biggest thing that annoys me at the moment is people will say, Calvin, how can you deny racism exists? And I've never, ever said that. I've literally, it's like you have to preempt every conversation by saying, I understand racism exists. I have experienced racism, but And it's so stupid. Let's just, let's just break it down. So if you see racism, challenge it. If you experience racism, turn the other cheek and these are the things that i want to say because it does exist we need to stump it out and it's not appropriate we need to teach people that's not appropriate you get rid of racism through education because racism is ignorance but again it doesn't mean that this is a racist country and it doesn't mean that everyone is racist or that everything is racist and if you think that way maybe you need to adjust your personal perspective and stop looking at the world through a racial lens
0: so for the people listening now who may not be familiar with the term critical race theory, um, if you could, could you best define what that is and then maybe talk about what you think the flaws are?
1: So for me, critical race theory is, you know, it's, it's one of the worst parts of identity politics. Um, it's this idea that white people are naturally privileged and black people are naturally oppressed. Uh, and this is you know just based on the color of your skin. Um, to be fair to the other side of the argument, they will say that's not what it means. They will say it means that if, you, if you're white, you're, your skin color hasn't held you back. Um, but again, even that I, I disagree with entirely. You know, I'm an educationalist. I've, I've been an assistant principal in London schools. I've seen white kids being bullied and held back because of the color of their skin. Um, so anyone can experience racism and anyone can perpetuate racism. Um, it's, it's not a white versus black thing. And again, that's, that's another part of critical race theory. They want to redefine what racism means. We know what racism means. We've had a definition forever. It means discrimination or prejudice on someone based on their ethnicity. Now, if you want to redefine it, as they do in critical race theory, you would say it's a power struggle between white oppressors and black victims. And I don't think that's fair. And I don't think that's appropriate. I'm, you know, mixed race, uh, half black Caribbean. I don't think I'm oppressed. I don't think I'm a victim. That is a mentality. A lot of people do have that mentality. It's not helpful to them um, and they want to, they should shake themselves of that mentality, free themselves of that mental slavery. Um, they are the only people holding themselves back at this point.
0: What, when you look at the, the future of critical race theory, do you see it starting to come in at, a, at an early age in schools and universities and colleges?
1: Yes, unfortunately. So we have what, what's known as the soft bigotry of low expectations, this idea that Teachers really, you know, white, liberal, middle class teachers really want to support and help these poor black kids. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, oh, don't you worry about your homework. You're from a disadvantaged background. It's not just black kids. It's anyone from any disadvantage. And they're lowering standards and lowering those expectations. And it's this, we see the same with, you know, all the way through education. We've got Oxford and Cambridge, two of the best universities in the world, lowering entry requirements for people of ethnic minority status it's disgusting. What we want to do is raise those standards, raise those expectations for every kid so that all children thrive in a really rigorous, knowledge-rich environment. We want all young people to learn as much as possible, not, uh, okay, let's don't let do not expect the Black and ethnic minority kids to learn as much. Let's, you know, have lower expectations for them. That is that is bigoted. That is racist. And that's what we see throughout education. It's well-meaning people um, taking the wrong approach.
0: You mentioned uh, white privilege uh, briefly. Do you see that there are any privileges or advantages for a person that is white over a person that isn't?
1: That's a good question. I've never actually been asked that. I think, of course there are. There are many. We have many, many privileges in life, but privileges aren't permanent. So I'm, you know, six foot four or just over. Um, in many situations, I have privilege. In a, in a massive crowd, I have privilege because I can look over it. And I don't feel claustrophobic and I'm not lost. Um, but they, they're they not permanent. On the tube, I definitely don't have privilege because I can't stand up straight. Um, you know, in, in this country, if you happen to be white, I'm sure there are many situations where uh, you would feel privileged. Um, I, I don't know what they would be, but... It, again, if you if you left the country and went elsewhere, you, you probably wouldn't experience that privilege. If, as a white person, a white Brit, if you went to you know South Africa or many many places in that continent, uh, you would certainly not feel privileged. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think privilege is a permanent thing, and it's it's definitely not something that should shape our personalities or our character. It might be something we want to be aware of. Um, you know, I I think wealth and class are much bigger privileges than skin color i think if you you happen to be upper middle class or upper class in this country you've probably got a better chance in life than someone who's disadvantaged uh, or or lower class um so it's yeah it's something maybe to be aware of but something not to focus on too much it's it's, it's become an obsession at this point
0: Mm. So the UK's uh, race report found that there was no evidence for systemic, and I I stress the word, I think it's important to say systemic racism in the UK. What was your reaction to that report? And what would you say to the people that are coming out claiming that there is a damaging report?
1: So this is not what it found. So the report actually found many racial disparities in this country and looked at the causes of those disparities. And it said, actually, just because it's a racial disparity doesn't mean it's a a, a proof of racism. Um, You know, like I said, the class and wealth and these things come into it, but family background, uh, family values, uh, geography, where you happen to live in the country, all these things have many... uh, All these elements have something to play in in your experience in this country, and a racial disparity can be a sign of one of those things, or it can be a sign of racism. And this report didn't find any proof of systemic or institutional racism. It didn't say that it doesn't exist, but the problem is people are focused on that headline and not actually looked at the racial disparities that the report did find or the solutions that it proposed to fix them. This report was such a positive report. It could help improve the society for everyone. And it wasn't just focused on certain ethnic minority groups. It's it's, like I said about in education, it's about raising standards for everybody in this country. Um, And I'm really, really disappointed by many on the hard left who have chosen to fight report based on ad hominem attacks of the commissioners themselves which has been disgusting but also obsessing over this headline of oh no institutional racism it's just a nonsense they don't want to look at issues it shows me that they actually don't really care about racism and about fixing racism or racial tensions or racial issues in this country and they're actually more obsessed with party politics and playing this game
0: of battling the, the evil conservatives and that is sad there seems to be a uh, sort of growing stigma around people who are openly proud about being British. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm from Wales myself. I'm not sure if you experience it uh, differently that. in English. But, well, I was going to ask if you are proud to be British, but I can see by your background you certainly are. <laughs> what makes you proud of being British, Calvin?
1: First of all, I love Wales. Spent many many happy summers in Wales. It's a fantastic part of the nation. Um, what what makes me proud to be British? It's the best country in the world. It's the nicest place in the world to live. I choose to live here for that reason. Uh, we don't say that very often because it's probably, to be honest, it's not a very British thing to say. We are quite under, understated people. We're not like the Americans who are very overtly patriotic and proud. We're quietly proud mostly. Um, I think we believe, you know, we believe in democracy, freedom of law. We, we help spread parliamentary democracy around the world, among many other things that we help spread. Um, it's just a great nation. We have, you know, we have tolerance of people of different faiths and none. It's very inclusive. You can be whoever you want to be here, as long as you're not hurting other people. Uh, we have many happy traditions. You know, we we are the country of good etiquette and 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 good manners uh the, the country of queuing <laughs> but we we have many great things over here that we kind of take for granted and we should celebrate them a little bit more not too much because like i say it's not it's not very british to be too overt with it but you know this idea that we're, every englishman is free um you know the, the whole premise of common law that we have over here is that we're all free to do whatever we like as long as we're not hurting other people and as long as it's not explicitly outlawed um which is completely the opposite of many other western countries we have this sense of service and duty to each other, to our community, to our family. Um, and it's a beautiful country, you know, there's no landscape like Great Britain, um, you know, the old, the old quote of loving every field and field and hedgerow is absolutely spot on. You can't beat the architecture and the history, the heritage. So yeah, we, more of us should stand up for our, for our pride in this great nation. We should keep it together, one united kingdom, Let's not let it split off. I'm worried about Scotland and Northern Ireland at the moment.
0: Well, in in this in the subject of, of Britain, I have to ask you about the BBC. Uh, if you can, could you sort of give um, an elevator pitch on your views on the BBC and and where you think it it goes wrong for people who may not be aware uh, with your relationship with the BBC.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, Defund the BBC is a grassroots movement. Hundreds of thousands of people have signed up to say they're fed up with the way the BBC works. And the three main reasons are, one, it's too woke. So, you know, their remit is to inform, educate, and entertain. And they've kind of neglected that in order to shove a social justice warrior agenda down our throats at every turn. Every programme they make these days is lecturing you on how bad a person you are unless you agree with their principles, which is horrendous. Um, It's too wasteful. It costs far too much. Uh, they they spend way too much money. They're spending £100 million on diversity and not actually diversifying. You know, they've got millionaire presenters that they don't need to have on a public service, a public broadcast network. And the remit is too broad at the moment. You know, we have to pay the BBC a TV tax, essentially, for the privilege of watching any other station, regardless of whether we watch the BBC or not. That doesn't work anymore. That's an outdated... Uh, model of revenue and they need to fix that so they're the three main causes but yeah many many people in this country are fed up with the way the bbc works and the fact that you know you're threatened under well under threat of prosecution if you don't pay the bbc and you watch any other channel it's
0: What well, well speaking of the bbc one of the the biggest uh news headlines as of late of course we had that the harry and megan saga for you personally I, I you know again the backdrop behind you i wonder how you look back on the whole saga with hindsight and, and how will you, how you will remember that. It's very, very sad. Um,
1: His Royal Highness Prince Harry has been swept away by a, a, a C-list celebrity. I quite liked Suits, to be honest, it was decent. Um, I don't think what's happening around that situation is very good. I don't particularly like Meghan Markle as a person. But even saying that these days, you know, your class is a racist because she's brown, you're not allowed to criticize her because brown people are above reproach, which is ridiculous. Um, It's very, very sad that, you know, another divorced American has kind of infiltrated the British institution of the monarchy and is trying to bring it down in order to promote herself. She seems to be stepping all over the monarchy in order to raise her own profile. Uh, They've pretty much relaunched her US career off the back of her, you know, becoming a princess, essentially. Uh, I think it's disgusting you know, she she dropped this bomb on this horrible Oprah Puff piece, which wasn't journalism at all, because it wasn't followed up with any evidence or any, anything. It was just a horrible anecdote of ambiguous claims of racism uh, that weren't backed up, weren't even, you know, she didn't even mention her name or, or, or a genuine quote. Um, I think, you know, in this country, we don't really believe in airing our dirty laundry in that way anyway. If there, if there was a problem with the palace, it should have be been handled at the palace, Uh, So I'm very sad to see Prince Harry get swept away in all this. You know, in the interview, you you saw Meghan Markle say, oh, yeah, we got married three days before the event. And, And I called that out on Twitter because... No, they didn't get married three days before the event. But if you look look at the footage, you can see he looks down the moment she says it, uh, and Oprah looks at him to to validate it and confirm, but he won't. And he goes all embarrassed and starts singing. And it looks to me like he knows that she's lying, but he doesn't want to call her out because that's his his missus at the end of the day, uh, and he's a loyal chap, Mm. rightly so. But it's just, it's all so shameful. Um, But yeah, we know she didn't get married three days before the wedding because, A, that's illegal in this country. She might not have known that. Uh, You can't get married twice and there would have been no You can't have two legal ceremonies. The legal ceremony was the one we saw on the Saturday. We saw the paperwork. It's public record. The Archbishop of Canterbury Canterbury confirmed that. Uh, So they might have had a rehearsal, but that's about it. They certainly didn't get get married. And that's not what she said. Uh, So that's one of many lies, I think she said in that in that big puff piece by uh, Oprah Winfrey. Um, And it's a massive shame what's going on.
0: So, looking forward, then, is there anything that you predict or expect to see from the relationship of Harry and Meghan going forward?
1: So, at His Royal Highness uh, Prince Philip's funeral, we did see Harry return, which was great. I hope him and his brother Prince William can, you know, reconnect because they, you know, they they've been a unit since the unfortunate loss of their mother at a young age. They've been, you know, almost like twins. They've been very close. So it's a shame to see that relationship being divided by a hostile force. Um, so I'd like to see them reunited. I, I hope Prince Harry comes back to the United Kingdom uh, one day, with or without his wife. Um, if he can you know, win her round and, and bash some sense into her, met- uh, metaphorically, that would be great, but um, I suspect it will all end in tears.
0: You mentioned the uh, Prince Philip's funeral. Um, obviously, another another huge um, media story over over you know the, the recent few weeks. Um, the one thing that I that surprised me uh, when I was on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I saw a lot of behaviour from a lot of people that preach kindness, that preach you know these treat people with kindness mantras. I saw a lot of people laughing, joking, sharing memes about, you know, the, the recently departed Prince Philip. What do you make of that attitude? And is that hypocrisy at its finest?
1: I think it's disgusting. It really offends me. It really upsets me, actually. You know, this this is one of the greatest living or was one of the greatest living Englishmen. Um, he he epitomised Englishness. Uh, the funny thing it was, you know, he wasn't even born English, but he, he really had that quintessential essence of Englishness about him uh, such a great chap and well anyone passing anyone sorry not passing anyone dying is is a sadness um, and we should commemorate the loss but to laugh or celebrate someone dying is evil that, there's no other word for it it is evil um, and it is a hypocrisy like you say for people that preach kind a, a kind of politics to then laugh because this is the problem isn't it you know these people on the left who who were who celebrating his death are the same people that think they are the good guys in this and it's because he might have potentially been right when we don't know his politics might have potentially been on the right of politics that they see him as fair game and anyone that's that doesn't share their politics is fair game to be attacked criticized in any way, shape or form. You know, I, I get the same thing when people that call themselves anti-racists, these are the people that say they're campaigning against racism, attack me racially, like literally racially abuse me. And I I just questioned, how do you get that level of cognitive dissonance? How do you get that level of double standards and not see it in yourself and realize actually, you are the bad guy in this situation. You are doing the exact thing that you say you are against. I don't really know how to engage with these people yet. This is something I'm working on. I don't don't know if we have the language to hold a mirror up to them, to to expose them to what they're doing and who they are. It's it's a sadness. And like I say, the loss of of Prince Philip was a a great loss to all of us. I think it was a massive loss to the nation, no, to the world. And and to have people partying and celebrating on that is is atrocious. And I, I don't know what to say to those people.
0: I wonder if if it surprised you in any way. So for me, I've lived in a very Labour-dominated constituency all my life. You know, there's a running joke around here that the, the PG Tips monkey could run for Labour and he would get the, the seat. It's a very, very safe seat. So, you know, I've been surrounded by, you know, left politics my entire life. And so when I saw these, these people um around me that I that I thought were all about kindness and being fair acting like this I was surprised were you surprised in the hypocrisy or did you expect it
1: I wish I was surprised it's nice that you were no I wasn't surprised at all I see, I see this all day every day you know every now and then I retweet a bit of the abuse that I, re- I receive personally from the left um just to expose them and let people know what's going on but and people say oh wow is that really happening because they don't see it um but it's happening all the time all the time this is what the hard left have become really hostile really toxic really divisive and we need to bring people back together uh you know we need to stop focusing on the things that divide us and really really re-emphasize the things that unite us and bring us together and that is our sense of Englishness our sense of Britishness um someone even say you know our Christian values I know not everyone subscribes to that but we have to really find the things that do bring us together because, there, of course, there are going to be things that split us apart. And Brexit was a major dividing factor, but we're over Brexit now, and it's time to unite. We
0: we, we, t- we talked there about Harry and Meghan, and Piers Morgan lost his job over that saga. What can we learn from his departure, and what did you make of it all?
1: I think he was absolutely spot on to not... Back down and to not be forced into an apology. When we're when we are wrong, of course we should apologize. But all he did is is express his opinion, and that's what he's paid to do. Uh, just because they didn't like his opinion doesn't mean that he should change it. Um, I wouldn't have made the same statements he made. He you know he attacked her stance on mental health and things like that. But she did lie about a great many things in that footage, and he could have called out any of them. In fact, he did. I think he found seventeen uh, instances that she she told mistruths in that uh, in that documentary all that interview Um, but you know he stood up for free speech and I I 100% believe in him on that I've I've been on his show a few times and disagreed with him on many things but in this I 100% support him he gave his opinion that's what he's paid to do he had every right to say what he said and for them to say either you apologise or you go of course he should go I I, I would walk I would do exactly the same if someone said to me you need to take back what you said uh, pretend you didn't believe it or you need to go of course I would walk
0: Do you worry that incidents like this, a mainstream example like Piers Morgan, will scare a lot of people into suppressing their opinions over fear of being cancelled, over fear of being lambasted, over fear of being outcast?
1: Yeah, of course they will. But of course, as much as he was cancelled, he wasn't cancelled. You know, he's still around. He's still giving his opinion. He was, you know, he can still write for the DML. He's still, I'm sure he'll get a new TV show somewhere else. Uh, They can only cancel you if you let them cancel you. I think we have to be braver. We have to be more stoic. We have to stand up for our beliefs, own them. And if people don't like them, that's on them. As long as we're outwardly trying to offend people. If people choose to take offense, that's their decision. And we, everyone has a right to choose to be offended. That's one of the consequences of having free speech. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, if, if you say something and people don't like it and that's, that's fine. That's not a problem that should be acceptable. We should have, you know, different opinions, different voices in the public sphere, we shouldn't all agree on something.
0: When Douglas Murray came on this show, he gave a very passionate speech about this and, and, you know, encouraged people to, he said, now is the time to be brave in this sort of culture war and now is the time to stand your ground. What advice would you give to those people out there that may, you know, have an opinion or a belief deep down that they, you know, they're scared to bring out over, over fear of what their peers may think?
1: I agree with Douglas Murray on this. I think, you know, we all need to stand up, own our opinions. They cannot cancel all of us. So even if they do come for your livelihood, which is a terrible situation, there are support mechanisms in place. You know, the Free Speech Union is fantastic, for example. We've got Counterweight as well now. There are a few organisations that you can join for support. Uh, but also, more people think like us than like them. Remember that. You know, this is a small C conservative country with with mostly conservative values, mostly Christian values. And the woke lots might be louder. They might scream a lot louder, but they are the minority. And that's why they scream so loud. They know the minority. And they're trying to force their views and their principles on us. We don't have to accept them. We can say no. We can say it as loudly as them if we want to. Um, We all need to stand up and own it. You know, I've, I've said before, we need to stop being anonymous. We need to stop being the silent majority and find our voices. If you're on social media, put your real name, put your photograph, put your the job that you do. If you're a plumber, own that. If you're a teacher, own that, and own the opinions, so people can more people can see that. Oh, actually, you know, normal people do have these opinions. It's not just outliers. It's not just people on the far right or whatever they tend to think about our views. Um, just yeah, all I can say is repeating it. Own it. Own yourself and own your views.
0: And in the sort of last year, we've seen two major examples of um, sort of cancel culture in full effect when it comes to mainstream uh, book book writings. We had the J.K. Rowling fiasco, um, and then more recently, we had the Jordan Peterson one. Where more concerning to me that that came from inside the publishing company. How do you react to this sort of almost book burning mentality we seem to be adopting?
1: Yeah, so my good friend Andy No had a similar situation in that they wouldn't sell his book in his hometown. We really are getting to to book-burning levels of of fascism again, and this is, you know, the anti-fa or the the, anti-fascists, so-called anti-fascists label themselves that because they think they're fighting what they perceive to be fascism and not seeing the double standards of their ways and that they are taking a fascist approach. Uh, like I said earlier, with anti-racists being the most racist, the anti-fascists are the most fascist. And we need to find a way of exposing these people for what they are and holding mirrors up to them so they can can see their own hypocrisies. Because, like, what is wrong with having books? Books should never be banned. Books should never be outlawed. We should be able to own any book we want, read it, educate ourselves on it, decide we don't like it, and talk to our kids about them. Uh, That is how we learn. We literally learn from history by reading it um, the moment we say certain things aren't allowed to be read where we're pushing one viewpoint and one perspective and shoving everyone everything else underground and that's where ideas fester and that's where we have problems if you don't like something expose it ridicule it challenge it oppose it but don't hide it that's you know that's not a good approach and we've seen in history what happens when we try to do that
0: you mentioned Andy No, there um, an extremely interesting case and someone I, I'm I'm desperately trying to get on the show. Um, you know, recently we we had that incident with I can't remember if it was a guy from Mumford and Sons had to come out and sort of apologise for reading Andy No. What was your initial response to that? Because that is crazy. So they're
1: both very good friends of mine. I don't want to comment on this personal situation, but what I will say is that we could all be more charitable. Hmm. Um, and I mean that on both sides, so what I saw in that situation, what I don't like to see in situations like that, is that we denounce people too easily, too quickly. um i'm I'm talking I don't like to tread on eggsheals, but what I'm essentially saying is that you know Winston said he liked Andy's book. um uh, that shouldn't have been an issue no. but when he when he when he separated himself from the situation for his own reasons that also shouldn't have been an issue. So first the left attacked him and then the right attacked him. And I find that disgusting and I don't like either side when they do that. Um, we need to be better. Uh, we, we need to reclaim our Christian values. If we see something we don't like, we need to we need to be the best person. And if someone hits us, we need to turn the other cheek. And if the left or the hostile toxic bunch, we, don't, we, we, we can't mirror them. We can't do the exact same thing uh, when we see something that we don't like. We have to be supportive and encouraging. And you know, the left will say, educate yourself. Well, on the right, we need to actually educate people. <laughs> we need to encourage reading and, and share our ideas and let them be challenged. Um, yeah, so that wasn't a very nice situation. It's you know, it's 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 troubling for a whole host of reasons, but that's as far as I'd like to go on that one, if that's okay.
0: I appreciate you uh you responded to that one. I appreciate that. Now we we've we've talked Today on the show, I you know, it's been a political episode. Now, every episode I do is political. So and, and for yourself, you're someone who is surrounded by politics. You always have to keep up with the latest news, the latest issues. Even having a fraction of that myself, I get mentally burnt out, man. How do you manage to keep on top of it day after day? Do you do anything to switch off from constantly thinking and debating about these political issues?
1: Yes. And I do get burnt out. I do take on too much. I'm learning to say no. Um, I now have a set time of the day where I will accept like podcast requests like this, which I love doing, but I won't do it outside of hours now um, because otherwise your whole life gets taken over by politics. And I love discussing politics and I love trying to make a difference and trying to make the world a better place but it can eat away at you and it it can be quite a lot of negativity. Uh, So I try to combat that by, first of all, trying to look at the positive in a situation, like I said, about, you know, the the left want to divide us on the right. We need to look at how to unite us. Um, But the way I deal with all of this, this pressure is I am a religious man. So as a Christian, I pray every morning and every evening. I do morning prayer and evening prayer. I go to mass on a daily basis. And when I'm in chapel or in church, I don't have access to my phone. So for that hour or two hours or three hours a day, whatever it comes to, I'm disconnected from politics. And I'm just, it's just about me and my relationship with God. And I find that helps a lot. You know, other people might have meditation or whatever. I have prayer and it works for me. And I recommend it if people
0: want to try it. Fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, when I spoke to to Dave Rubin, he was telling me that he has to take the entire month of August off uh, once a year because it, it mentally burns him out. So, uh, yeah, I commend you for keeping up with it all year round, man. Yeah,
1: because that, that's a dangerous approach. So as a school, when I used to be a school teacher and an assistant principal, we have that approach where we just burn up because we work so hard all the way through term and then it gets to half term and you just, you're dead. And you have this thing in teaching where as soon as you are on holiday, you're ill. A lot of teachers will, will corroborate this. And your body reacts because you've been on constant adrenaline uh, for the whole term. And the moment you stop, your body catches up with itself when you get ill. So I don't think Dave Rubin's approach is a, is a healthy approach. I think it's better if you can have something continuous and try to have a, have a work-life balance. It's difficult, I know. For people like us, it's really difficult, but it's, it's, it's so important.
0: So in the spirit of being politically burnt out, let's move now to our final three questions that normally have nothing to do with politics that I ask every guest. The first one is, are there any books that have had a massive impact on your life?
1: Yes. So I won't mention the Bible because that's an obvious one. What I will say is anything by Roger Scruton. Just the way he talks about this country makes you fall in love with it every single time. It doesn't matter what book. So I read his book on uh, hunting, for example. I'm not a hunter. It's not an interest of mine. But just the way he describes the English countryside and the activities uh, all of it, just it's so romantic. I, I absolutely adore it. But also, of course, his politics is very, I mean, my politics rather is very in line with his, 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 his viewpoint. He was the last great philosopher of our age, uh, in my opinion. Um, so yes, anything by Scruson.
0: This next question, it, it, it sounds like a scenario in which the BBC want to build for themselves, but if every person on the planet was tuned in to the exact same frequency and you were given the opportunity to broadcast one message one lesson one sentence even to every person on the planet what would calvin robinson's message to the world be
1: love your god and love your neighbor uh, <laughs> i know that's probably cheesy but the world would be a much better place if we could do that if we could focus on something bigger than ourselves uh, not just on God, but all the consequences of that. So our, our community, our family, and all of those things that we've kind of forgotten. And if we, if we loved other people as much as we love ourselves, sometimes the world would be a much better place, I think.
0: So the last question I have for you, the answer to this one could be anything from your work to your faith, to your family. For Calvin Robinson, what makes a life worth living?
1: That's... Pretty much the same answer. So, I, you know, when people say, "What is the meaning of life?" I think it is love. I think it is, you know, your relationship with your family and your friends and your local community and your wider communities. Um, and yeah, life is about relationships. Life is about people and loving people, uh, both romantic love and you know platonic love. Um, we are nothing without that. And as much as you know, having success and and wealth and fame and these kind of things are can be nice, and people chase these things more importantly is just good old-fashioned family friends and yeah love
0: calvin thank you for for bringing your value to the podcast today i appreciate you um jumping into this conversation with me and tackling these topics that a lot of people may shy away from so i thank you for bringing that to our show uh it's been a pleasure my friend
1: pleasure is mine thank you very much and now i'm off to chapel (laughs) see you later
0: Thank you so much for sticking with us to the end of another episode of the Freedom Pact podcast. No matter what your political beliefs, I hope you enjoyed this conversation or it at least engaged you in some way. Uh, if you have any feedback on the show, the guests, or just want to talk about the episodes, get in touch with us at Freedom Pact on Instagram. You can email us at freedompactgmail.com at or come over and drop a comment on the full podcast on YouTube which is youtube.com forward slash freedom pact. We'll see you back here, wherever you get your podcasts on Friday with another episode. Thank you for listening.